0: I am grateful to see everybody out this morning and grateful for the opportunity to uh, experience God's grace and mercy in everything that we say and do. And uh, we're grateful to have a loving congregation that every year annually you have opened up your homes and allowed missionaries to come and stay in your houses. And we've had missionaries from all over the world uh, stay in people's houses and homes, and that are here at the bridge. And it was one of my favorite. It is one of my favorite things of the year for our church. And it really, uh, this year, COVID kind of uh, kicked a lot of us in the teeth in a lot of different ways, and it changed the world that we live in, and it uh, rearranged things. And back early on in COVID, a lot of people I saw was somewhat uh grateful because their life had got so far out of control that they didn't even realize how fast-paced and non-family oriented and uh just not using our time wisely. Can anybody say amen to that? And COVID taught us that early on that sometimes we don't use our time wisely and uh we need to take advantage of every moment and take advantage of every situation for the betterment of God's kingdom and doing the work that he calls us to do and to be the people that he called us to be. I would have loved to have had uh, the missionaries here this weekend, and usually we do a panel uh, discussion, and I, I bring the missionaries up after a whole weekend. We would have been Friday night, Saturday night, and then this morning with our missions uh, conference, and it would have been awesome to have uh, the missionaries to be here and sitting in a chair's on a roundtable discussion and uh, opening up, uh, just asking, I interview them every year and it's just awesome to get to hear their responses to different questions that I, I raise to them. And sometimes it puts them on the spot. And I remember uh, a few years ago, uh, I asked one young lady and, and after the service, she said, I don't like that question. It, it put me on the spot and I didn't want to have to answer. And uh, I like doing that to people and I like doing that to you guys too. So sometimes I'll put you on the spot, uh, but it's to bring the best out in you. I'm doing it from uh, a place of bringing the best out in people. Because we can bring the worst out in people. Does anybody have a worst side? Amen? i got a worst side sometimes to come out. Joe Don had to me out last night at the races. I was getting frustrated and uh, angry. And irritable, and all those words. And I was playing my role pretty well. And Joe Don said, I'll pray for you. <laughs> it's pretty bad when you people have to tell your pastor, I'll pray for you. But I do appreciate your prayers because I'm human too. And uh, I'm competitive, uh, so much so that I like beating Leslie at everything we do. And, I, you know, I'm really competitive like that. <laughs> I do have the bigger deer on the wall. Just saying. I'm going to get a bobcat. I don't want Yeah, the bobcat picture got her all tore up. But this year, our missions uh, convention and, and the theme that we use annually every year is something that the AG as a whole sets out. And AG is the Assemblies of God. That's a, a, not a denomination, but a voluntary cooperative fellowship that we as a church volunteer to cooperate within the Assemblies of God and participate with them to receive uh, the ability to partner in missions. So the whole purpose of our church is to be missional. And to be missional is to mean that we have a mission or something that we're doing. And any time we can partner together with other churches and other missionaries and other people, we're going to be able to do greater things than we could here locally by ourselves, And we can make great impact in our community, and we do that. And I'm grateful that we are very missional as a church here in our own town, in our own county, in our own region here in northeastern Kentucky and southern Ohio. So I'm grateful to have the opportunity to impact people all the way around us. And sometimes you don't even know how far you're reaching until you hear people say, well, I listen to you. And sometimes don has been uh, live feeding and, and people commenting on there. Some people I don't even know. So we're able and capable of speaking to people in the 21st century that I wouldn't have been able to a few hundred years ago. But the Assemblies of God was started in 1914. There was 300 uh, churches that had uh, come into existence and they had been uh, participating and doing things locally themselves. And they decided what would happen if we would partner together and we would create an opportunity for us to uh, compel each other, we're compelled to do something greater Together than we are individually. And the moment that we become selfless and become more centered in helping others succeed and helping others to do greater work, the better off we'll be as a kingdom. Amen? Jesus compelled other people to do great things. He compelled his disciples to be better people. So the they partnered together, they joined together in three hundred churches, met together in Hot Springs, Arkansas, just to pray about they didn't want another denomination. The world's got enough denominations. You know what a denomination is? It's an opinion. And an opinion is my way or no way. And I don't want to be like that. Do you? I don't want to be opinionated. I am sometimes. And I have voiced my opinion. Can anybody say amen? But that's not who we're to be. Jesus tells us to take the high road, to not be opinionated, to love our neighbor, no matter if we like him or dislike him. Amen. To do his work. So these 300 churches met together in Hot Springs, Arkansas in 1914. So 106 years ago, they met together. 300 pastors went down there to join together to pray about. And they started this organization called the Assemblies of God. And their sole purpose... When they declared that that day and they created an organization and not a denomination, everybody say, We're not a denomination. I think everybody needs to say that. Say, We're not a denomination. We're a voluntary cooperative fellowship, which means we volunteer to cooperate within this realm known as the Assemblies of God, not to create an opinion or a different stance, or a different take on the Bible, or say, this is my verse, or this is a special verse. The whole Bible is your verse. Amen? We're going to take the whole counsel of God and apply it to our life. We're not going to pick and choose and pick the verses we like and disregard the ones we don't like. We're going to take the whole counsel of God, and we're going to apply it to our lives. And whenever they did this, they said, we want to be the greatest missions organization that the world has ever seen. Other churches do great things. And I'm not putting down denominations. I'm grateful for denominations. I'm grateful for people that will study the Bible and get a, a solid foundation on what the Word of God says and what they believe in. A lot of people used to say, the Word of God says it, I believe it, and that settles it. But actually, that's kind of a false statement. Whether you believe it or not, The Word of God already settled it. Amen? Amen? It don't take you to validate the Word of God. The Word of God is already there. It's established. God said it. That finished it. He uses us, but He don't need us. Amen? We need Him. I needed Him when I was lost and undone, walking in my sin. I needed Jesus to come into my life. I tried to fix myself. I couldn't. I don't know about you. Maybe you could had it all worked out and you you worked so hard and and it was such a moral person and just the greatest thing the earth has ever seen. I was not that. I was broken and undone and needing a savior to relieve me of my sins because I could not do it. So as this happened, this group of people said we don't need another group opinionated we need a mission and every year since the missions organization has a general council annually every year where they get together the churches and say and it grew from 300 very rapidly it took off and began to grow at a rate that the world had never seen because guess what the minute you become missional or you have a mission statement or an objective or a goal is the minute you'll begin to accomplish things. If you go aimlessly through life and just saying I'll just take it as it comes, you're not going to be very missional. Jesus gave us a mission. And the minute we're about that mission, the more uh, successful we'll be. Because he is the one leading the ship. We need him to be our guide. Amen. So every year they get together and they have this missional convention known as the General Council. And whenever they do that, they put together this theme that they put together for the next year and announce what's going to be our mission for next year. And last year, they decided that the word for this year in 2020 was going to be the word compelled. That's what we're going to do. We're going to be compelled to do something. And the word compelled, the definition actually, one part of it's meaning in the verb form, is to have a powerful and irresistible effect to influence. How many would like the word of God to your unbelieving friends or people that you know that are walking in lostness and going to split hell wide open? How many would like to have a powerful and irres- irresistible effect on those people? Amen? That you would be compelled... To speak the word of God, to live it out, and watch them let you let them watch you live in a way that compels them to come to Jesus. I'm not talking about strong arming them. I'm not talking about beating them over the head with the Bible. I'm saying live your life and be an example for others to follow and see if it, you're not compelled to do that. That you, if you won't make an irresistible difference in others' lives, we can impact people if we desire to. The new football coach that come to town here in Lewis County, he's making a irresistible difference in our team. During COVID, he inherited a mess in the midst of this COVID deal, but he's still leading. And he's leading by example, and I love it that he brought out scriptures and he said he got a little kickback from it. He got little people saying, I don't know if you ought to be taking those verses in there and taking that story of Nehemiah and saying that's something about a football team. How many believe that young people need to hear the word of God? Amen. And not, he said, I'm not using it in a way to force them or strong arm them in making them a believer in Jesus. I'm just telling from history, it's proven that God works in powerful ways if we'll believe and trust in him. And the story of Nehemiah talks about building a wall. And there's people with shovels and people with swords. It took both camps to get that wall built back around Jerusalem. It was broken down. It didn't have the foundations. Something that was dismantled. And this young football coach has come to town. And he's looking to make a difference in our teenagers. And we need to pray for that. Amen? That God will bring godly leaders amongst us that will teach us even from a historical perspective that God can make a difference in our lives. Young people need to hear that. And in America, the church attendance is not what it's always been. It's been on a decline annually in America for the past so long. Everybody don't go to church like they used to. Go back to the 70s. There's even Jesus freaks out there then. There's hippie movements known as the Jesus movement. They were still going strong then. But the decline is happening, and it's happening on our watch. And the deal is, what are we going to do about it? How concerned are we about 10,000 people, more than likely, in our county, if you do the numbers according to statistics, there's 10,000 people in Lewis County this morning that's not in a church service, that hasn't been in a church service this year. Are you compelled to do anything about it? Is there any concern in our life to say, wow, I can't let that happen on my watch. Am I compelled to do something? So Jesus, when he comes on the scene, he lived out scripture. He didn't just read scripture. He didn't just study scripture. He actively put scripture into his walk, into his talk, into his actions. And Jesus read this verse one time. It's in the Gospels, you can read it. But he was quoting a scripture in Isaiah 61, verses 1. And Jesus was proclaiming this was his mission. This was what he's called to do, according to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Isaiah prophesied, Jesus is coming, and this is what he's going to do. Jesus said these words. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, because the Lord has chosen me. He has commissioned me to encourage the poor, to help the brokenhearted, to decree the release of captives, and to free the prisoners, to announce the year when the Lord will show His favor, the day when God will seek vengeance to console all those who mourn. Jesus' mission was wrapped up in these verses. What are you going to do when you get here, Jesus? How are you going to act? What are you going to do? What difference are you going to make? And people had a lot of opinions what they thought the Messiah should do. Peter, one of the disciples, was somebody that told Jesus often what he thought Jesus ought to be doing. We know stories through scripture of how Peter would tell Jesus, do this, do that. We ought to go over here. We ought to be over there. Why are you doing that, Jesus? He was questioning the Messiah, the Son of God, on why are you doing that as a mission. It don't make any sense. And can I tell you this? Sometimes when Jesus asks you to do some things, it's not going to make a whole lot of rational sense to you. It's going to say, like, well, that don't make, why that? I'd rather do this. I'd rather be doing that. What if we took upon Jesus' mission and applied these verses to our life and say now that Jesus has came, He died, was buried, and resurrected on the third day for what? For the freedom of your sins to give you a mission in life to compel you to do great things for His kingdom. What if we took that to be that this is my verse too? That his mission is my mission. What if we were compelled to act out the word of God the way Jesus did? What kind of difference would we make? And I really believe this with all my heart. That we here at the bridge are making a difference. Amen. Amen? That we're making a difference in our community. And the work that you're doing, I believe you're compelled to do. There's people that gets off the sidelines... And goes in on the field and begins to participate in the game of life that we're in to make a difference. You're trying to poke the score, the points on the scoreboard. And if we would do it the way that this young leader that come in that is our football coach, he tells us you need a sword and you need a shovel. You need protectors and you need builders. And I can tell you it's here today that protectors are the people that will pray it's like Sister Betty that she, she often sends messages to tell me that she's praying for me. She compels other people to be a prayer warrior for our ministry here at the church, and I covet that. Amen? How many ever been at that point of your life that you know that you need somebody to pray for you? That it feels like I can't pray for myself, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to ask, I don't know what to do. And you ask somebody and you reach out and you ask them, pray for me. I covet that from you guys. I want you to pray for me, for Leslie, for Dusty, for Albie. And I, want you, I desire that, that you would pray for us often. That morning when you wake up. That you would pray for our church, that the mission of our church would stay missional, that we would be intentional about what we're doing, and we wouldn't just be going nonchalantly through life and saying, Every week's just another weekend, let's get to Sunday and let's get it over and let's go do something else. But we would be missional in everything that we're doing. And Jesus said, that he came to help the broken hearted. Think about that as a mission. Broken hearted. And I know what that's like in losing my grandmother just recently. And I know what broken heartedness feels like. It's whenever Aunt Mary calls me and says. That she's on vacation and she takes pictures and thinks, man, I want to send that to Mommy. It breaks my heart when my mom is having such a tough time dealing with loss. And we're not the only ones. I know that there's people here that have suffered great loss in your life. That you've experienced broken heartedness. When it's hard to be missional. When it seems like you're beaten down. When it seems like there's no hope. When it seems like there's no way out. And you can't do the things you want to do because you're so consumed by what's the situation that you find yourself in. Jesus said, my goal, my mission, I'm compelled to make a difference in broken hearted people's lives. And I come to help them. I'm here to tell you this morning, and and I'm decreeing this to you today, that the word of God says, Jesus seeks to help you in your brokenheartedness. So if you're sitting here today and you're saying, I'm broken, I'm undone, I don't know what to do, Jesus is your helper. He's our advocate. He's our one that's said, He's our lawyer sitting on the right hand of God. And it says He prays and makes intercession for you and me today. I'm grateful for that. That I serve that kind of God. That he loves me so much. Even when I'm broken hearted and I can't seem to get my mindset straight. That he wants to help me in the midst of my brokenness. He don't discard us and say, well, they're no longer worthy or useful to me. I'm just going to put them to the side. He don't look at us and say, well, they're broken hearted. They don't know what to do. they got a mess going on. I just, I can't get anything out of them. I don't need them anymore. He comes and he says, I want to be your helper. I want to be your guide. I want to be your healer. What situation do you find yourself in today? How broken hearted are you sitting here today of wondering, am I doing anything right? Do you seem like a mess in your situation? Jesus is your helper. He proclaimed that to the world. And he'll fulfill it. If he promises it, he'll do it. The Bible says that his words are yea and amen. It means yes, and I will do it. You will see it come to pass. Amen. Continue fighting the good fight of faith. Hold out till the end, church. Don't give up. Don't back up. Don't say there's no more reason to keep in this fight anymore. Keep fighting. Press forward. Do the good work for God. And see if the difference will be made. I believe this is true. I can sense that he's here this with us this morning. He's healing our brokenhearted. He's encouraging the poor. Jesus later on said, You will always have the poor with you. There will always be poor people. Amen. I remember my mom and dad talking about when Dad got laid off early on in his life and he lost his job. He had two little, it's not those brats, exactly. This was prior to my sister being born. He had two little babies to feed and he got laid off. And he had a real good job at the steel mill in Portsmouth. But he got laid off. And he was renting a house. And he got down where there's no food in the house and he has so much pride. He would not sign up on any kind of assistance from the government because he believed so, for whatever reason, that he got to make it himself. Got a young wife. And the only thing they had was potatoes. They would go out and dig potatoes out of the ground that they grew. The garden season was over. And it's bad times, and they were poor. No money, period. And the neighbor was a good Christian man, Louis Kamer. And He told my dad, he said, them chicken out there is laying eggs. And if they're mine, they're yours. You go get them. And dad tells the story about eating potatoes and eggs one day, and then switching it up the next day and eating eggs and potatoes. That's making the best out of a worse situation, amen? That's making the best instead of the worst. That's called overcoming by all odds. And he tells a story how they went out to a Christmas dinner and he wouldn't even tell my grandpa anything about how hard they were struggling. And my grandpa give him a big hunk of meat out of, the, out of the smokehouse. Dad and mom didn't tell anybody when they got home. Dad said he sat there with a fork and a knife. And when mom was frying that meat that he hadn't had any meat in so long that he was sitting there tore up and he set sitting at the table with that knife and fork waiting on her to get it done. Beating the table. I'll eat it raw. Just bring it over here. Amen. Amen. But he struggled through all that. And hard work pays off. I'll promise you this. If you'll stay with it, and you'll stick with it, and you'll keep working hard, it's going to work out. And my dad kept working, and he would do anything. He'd build houses, build barns, just work for, beat himself to death to feed us little kids. And a happy wife is a happy life. He'd done everything he could to take care of my mom. But he continued to be Poor. And when he got his job back and the plant started back up, he got money flowing again. He went up and bought a property off of a guy up the holler, and he built a little house. And when he moved in that house, it was one room finished. And when I mean finished, it just had sawmill lumber on the outside and a roof over top of it. And he had one room finished out inside. He moved them into that little house, one room, no sink, no bathroom. Outside, John, anybody heard that back door trots? You know what that is? You don't want that in the middle of the night when it's cold in the winter. Where my mom got pregnant with my sister. That's when we got inside commode. Dad felt so bad that he got it all set up and by then he got the bathroom finished. But there's pictures that my mom has about me and my brother. And my mom knows what it is to be poor too. Because while Dad was out struggling to make enough money to eat, she would go down the creek and bail out two five-gallon buckets of water and carry them up the side of a hill way steeper than this, heated up on an old wood stove, Put it in a number two wash tub, and set her dirty, dirty little two babies down in it, and wash us off. I know what it is to come through poverty, and I know what it is when Jesus says that He's helping the poor. And we live in an impoverished county. And impoverished means that there's a lot of poor people here. But my dad says that poor people are the happy people. He says, you don't believe me, go to the store. You'll see poor people walking up and down the aisles of the store. They'll be laughing, smiling, prodding each other, poking each other, having a big old time. You see some rich person go through their old fuddy-duddy. They're scared everybody's going to take their money. Why are they going to ask me for this? And they're going to ask me to help them. They're just sad. Dad says happy poor people are happy people. It's somewhat true. They know how to make the best of a bad situation. But my mom is a praying mom. And my mom is a loving mom. And I remember times where my dad would go to an interview at a job and said, I don't know anybody there. And there's no reason me even to go in here and fill out an application. I'm poor. I don't have any contacts. I don't know anybody. I'm messing up even driving down here to Baysville to go to this job. And it was a good paying job. And my mom looked over at him and said, but you don't know. Man, Carlier, Carrier, you don't know the God that I serve. And he's going to provide a job for us today. My dad went into that job. And he laid down that application and he talked to that boss. That boss hired him. And he walked back and out and he said, I can't believe it. Mom said, I do. Amen, I do. I know the God I serve. And yes, we're poor right now, but that don't mean he wants to leave us this way. He wants to bring us out of that. He wants to provide food for our table. He wants our kids to grow up having their bellies full. Amen. And I want to pray that today that we as a church would be a missional church. That would be all about feeding the poor. That we would be a church that be benevolent to our neighbors. That we would love them unconditionally. That we won't place requirements on them that are ungodly. And I want to pray they find good jobs. And I've done that for people that's here. We've prayed for people to find a job that come here that don't have a job. And God provides jobs. Amen? He'll make a way where there seems to be no way. That's what Jesus does. How compelled are we today to make a difference? We need to be as compelled as those old fashioned saints back in 1914 that said we need to be missional. We don't need to just look at our own little county, our own little town, our own little world that we're living in. The world is a big old place. And there's a lot of different type people. There's people with different color skin. There's people from different ethnic backgrounds. And they have all diversity all over the world. And let's don't just look to ourselves, but let's be missional in making a difference in the world. From a little bitty church sitting on a hillside. And what can we do? They was compelled to make a difference around the world. And those 300 people that got together that day that made that difference. Today I can tell you this. That according to the statistics of the Assemblies of God last year. Not a denomination. But a fellowship. There's 69 million people on the planet today that's worshiping in a church house. Because 300 people decided I want to do something rather than nothing. 69 million people know Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior today. And now that they are going, and they're missional, they're going to make a difference as well. But there's still 20-some nations, 20-some countries, 20-some countries, I read it this morning in statistics, 20-some countries in the world today that doesn't have one church. In the whole country, and some of them's little, some of them's a little African country, some of them's a little South American country, some of them's a little Eurasia country. And they don't have one church in the entire country. Most of those people have never heard the word Jesus. Amy went on a missions short-term trip a few years ago. She saw poverty. She brought back pictures, and she cried like a baby. She's kind of a crybaby anyway, but she cried. And it's different when you're sleeping on the mud floor, ain't it, Amy? And there's thousands upon thousands of little babies in South America. That are sleeping in mud huts on dirt floors. Can we sit here today and say I'm not blessed? Amen. Can we sit here today and say well I don't know what I need to be grateful for. I don't have anything. You better watch out. There's people hurting around the world. And we need to be compelled to make a difference in the world. I want them to know Jesus more than anything. And I want him to provide for them the way that he said he would. Here in this verse in Isaiah 61. He cares for the poor. He cares for the brokenhearted. How compelled are we to be missional in our life? (laughs) Are we like those 300 people 106 years ago that said, I want to make a difference. And I would love, and I think there's a great cloud of witnesses up in heaven. It talks about it in Hebrews chapter 12. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. There's people up in heaven that are rejoicing over every lost soul that comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe, I know today, that they know they made a difference. Whenever they started a little organization, they didn't know if it would get off the ground. They didn't know if they'd make it. The same way whenever Betty and Mom and Gartha drove around this county a few years ago, back in 1996, and said, Well, I don't know, there's 70-some churches here. and Are they really making a difference? And maybe God's calling us to do something. And they, they begin a church out there in a, in a, in a living room on Southern Manor. And they drove around and looked at buildings. And they come up here and seen a garage that was repairing used cars. Old used cars in this building. And they said, I think this can be a church. They said, I think we can do something here and make a difference in our town, in our community, in our county. They had a dream and they had a vision. They was on mission. And they began to love God and love people. And guess what? Look around. From three little ladies that didn't know if they could make a difference. And a woman pastor that was saying, I don't know if this ca- as county or this town will accept a woman pastor. Look what she's done. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses right here with us. Sister Betty, I thank you for the prayers you've made. And to see her granddaughter give that Facebook Live thing just this past week. And testify about how God can help a drug addict. And bring them out of addiction. I'm grateful for that. Because she's got a praying grandmother. That she knows down the bottom of her heart. No matter how lost. No matter how far. No matter how unreached she felt like. She knew that somebody was praying for her. It's a blot that we're in. And we can make a difference. It's 1029. And i got so much more to say. But I'm done. My goal is here today to make you feel compelled. And I hope I've done that. I hope you're compelled to walk out of this service today and say, Man, what could I do if I'd live for God? What can I do if I would walk for God? What can I do if I would talk for God? What could I do if my mission... Is His mission. Hebrews 4.12. This is what I'm closing with. For the Word of God is living and is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit, and the joints and marrow, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there's no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of Him who we must give an account... Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast the confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us in our weakness. But he was in all points tempted as we are. Yet he was without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in the time of our need. Won't you bow your head? God, I pray today that You, through Your Holy Spirit, You said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that we would receive power after the Holy Spirit come upon us. And we would be witnesses for You And that word power in the Greek is dunamis. (laughs) And that word means explosive. God, that we would have influence. And this word compelled that we read about the definition of a little bit earlier. says we would have impact. And God, I know that those disciples in Acts 1, when you were standing there telling them you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Lord, that they went in an upper room and they prayed and they sought your face. They sought a mission from you. And God, with just a few days, within 10 days, you empowered them with the Holy Spirit. And you gave them mission. And they walked out of an upper room where they was afraid of the Roman Empire. That they was afraid that they would be martyred Because you were martyred, Jesus. And they walked out with a missional purpose of knowing that he's anointed me to bring good news to the captive, to release the prisoners, to bind up the brokenhearted, and to be with those who are poor. And when they walked out of that upper room that day, Jesus, in Acts chapter 2, And Peter opened up his mouth and preached the first sermon of the church. That 3,000 people came to know you in one sermon. That's a difference. That's impactful. That's having influence. That's being empowered. And Jesus, I know that you didn't just leave that power back then, but you've brought it through the centuries. And when the preachers like D.L. Moody and Billy Sunday and Billy Graham, that you anointed them to preach the gospel. God, that thousands upon thousands have come to know you. God, I pray that you would impact the people of the bridge. God, that you would compel us to come boldly to your throne of grace. And God, that you would give us power to be missional. God, that we can make a difference. God, help us to trust you in the midst of our fears. God, help us to be missional in the midst of our brokenheartedness. Just as your disciples were brokenhearted that you were crucified on the cross, that they get to witness that. They were brokenhearted because they thought you left them. But when the Holy Spirit came, they knew that you were still with them. Help us to know you're here. Help us to know that you're with us. That you're guiding us. That you're compelling us. To make a difference. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to know who here feels compelled this morning to leave this place and go make a difference. For the gospel of Jesus, I want you to raise your hand. If you feel like I'm supposed to leave here and I'm compelled, I need to go make a difference. Amen. 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 Thank you for those hands. Help me to make a difference. I'm compelled. Amen. Jesus. do what only you can do give us the words to say give us fresh ideals. give us fresh vision god i pray that you would make a way where there seems to be no way that you would open up doors that you would make opportunities lord that you would create jobs in our community that you would do exactly what you said you would do. We trust you, we believe you. And as a people today, we lift our hands. I want everybody here just lift your hands. <laughs> and I just want you to thank him for everything he's done for you. Thank him for his salvation. Thank him for his goodness. Thank him for his grace. Thank Him for His mercy. Thank Him for His blessings on your life. And thank Him for giving you mission. And thank Him for compelling you today to go make a difference. Lord, bless your people. Anoint them to preach the gospel. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says, Amen.